0: And everything is going really well here at the church. We've got a lot of good things that are happening, people that are getting saved. Last weekend, I know we baptized five at the jail. And, and you know, we had talked about how since Easter we had seen 29 souls saved. And that's a good number because any number is good when you talk about souls being saved. But we want that number to increase. And one of the good things that I really love about our church is that uh, the souls that are saved are not always in this building. I love it when people get saved here on Sunday morning, but we have people that are ministering outside of these walls. They go to Bridge Street and minister on the streets. They go to uh, Beth's Blessing and Chad's Hope, and they minister the gospel. And we've been able—they go to the jail and, and for, for men and women—and we've been able to see a lot of people saved and baptized and, and, and give their life to Jesus in those settings. And that's what we want to continue to do as a church. We don't want everything to be inside these walls. We want to go outside of these walls and be a blessing to others amen praise God well I'm going to get started in our message this morning and I'm going to start out I'm going to be hanging out in first Samuel chapter 16 and 17 um, and I want to actually begin with a verse you don't have to turn there but in Acts 13 36 and I'm going to call this this message serving God's purpose in our generation serving God's purpose in our generation. I'm going I'm to bring out some points specifically from David's life. And in Acts 13, 36, there's this, there's this weird little verse that's kind of out there by itself, but it speaks volumes, I believe. And it says this. It says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. I want you to think about that. Because in our own generation, there is a purpose specifically for us. We were born into this generation. We weren't, we weren't born in into the, into the last generation before us. We weren't born in David's generation. But in every generation, there is a battle to fight for the kingdom of God. And we have to understand the generation that we live in because it's so easy for us to become complacent and lackadaisical and, and just begin to be, be, just lay off the purpose of God in our generation. And there's some things here that we're going to uh, reveal. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want to read a few verses there, beginning at verse 33. And I'll read through verse 37. Here's what it says. And Saul said to David, now what you have to understand is David is going, everybody knows the story, David is getting ready to fight Goliath, right? He's this nine-foot giant and he is defying the armies of Israel and David shows up on the scene. He's anywhere from 14 to 16 years old likely. He's just a young boy, but he knows God. And he shows up on the scene and he's getting ready to fight this giant Goliath because everybody else is scared to death and will not fight this giant that is defying the armies and the promise of God from being fulfilled as God had promised it. And so he stands up and then finally in verse 33 it says, And Saul said to David, Saul was the king at the time, he says, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear... He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, God, because your word is what sanctifies us, God. Your word is what speaks to us, Lord, so that we hear your voice. And your word, God, it reveals your will for our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would arrest all of our hearts and all of our minds and that you would breathe life into us by your word, God, and that you would speak to each individual what they need to hear. This morning, God, so that we could overcome these lions and these bears and these giants in the spiritual realm, God. These things that are hindering us from fulfilling your purpose and your plan in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, throughout history, especially if you read through the scriptures, from the very beginning, God has always had an ordained people... And he's always had a testimony in the earth of who he is and of his goodness. And since the very beginning, since Adam and Eve carried the glory of God, Satan has been out to try to destroy and hinder the purpose of God, the plan of God, and the will of God in the earth. And he did that in the very beginning. He got Adam and Eve to believe a lie. But even then, God gave a promise. And he said, ultimately, Satan, and he spoke to the serpent, ultimately, her seed will crush your head and you will crush his heel. And he was prophesying even then about Jesus Christ coming and destroying the works of the devil, destroying sin, and ultimately overthrowing death, even from the very beginning. But Satan, in all of his ignorance... He continues on this, this evil escapade of just continuing to try to destroy the promise of God. And you see this over and over again as he tries, Cain kills his brother Abel, and he's influenced by Satan to do such. And then it goes on, and you see the children of God, uh, they're in Egypt, and they're bound in this place enslaved in Egypt, and and. and and all of a sudden Satan influences Pharaoh to kill all of the children, all the newborn babies, because he thought maybe the promise is coming through this one. And then when there's word about Jesus Christ being born, he moves in Herod and Herod does the same thing and begins to have little baby boys killed and murdered and slain. Why? Because he's after the promise of God in our lives. And even the book of Revelation begins to say that Satan went out to make war with her offspring, with her children, with Israel. And now he's making war with the church and with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ in the earth. So here's what we need to understand is that, listen, if you are a Christian you are in a battle. And here's what you need to just begin to enjoy about it is that it is a beautiful and a glorious battle. Timothy said, and Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. The word there is beautiful. He said, fight the beautiful fight of faith because the fight that you are fighting, yes, it gets difficult from some, sometimes because fights aren't easy, right? They're difficult, but it's a beautiful fight because God is revealing His glory in it. And he still has an ordained and a chosen people in this generation. But let me let me kind of paint the picture for you here because God has given a promise to Israel, his people. And he says through Israel All of the nations of the world and all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed because ultimately Christ is going to come through the line of David, this young little shepherd boy. And he's going to come through the line of David and God has given Israel this promise and they're to take over this certain area of land. But as they're going into the promise and the fulfillment of God's promises, all of a sudden this big army called the Philistines comes out against them. Now the Philistines represent the powers of darkness. And it represents how it stands against us in fulfilling the promises of God in our own generation, in our own community. There is a promise where God is saying, I've given you this land, I'm giving you this opportunity to begin to establish my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in this very generation among these people. Because some people begin to believe just like the soldiers begin to believe, this is impossible. We can't overcome this giant. And on one side of this great valley, this giant stands, and he says, Hey, let's not go to war. You send out one man against me, and we'll go to battle. And if I win, you all will be subject to us. But if you win, we'll be subject to you. And all of the soldiers are standing back on the other side of this valley for 40 days, and it says they are discouraged and greatly afraid. Now, I would love to tell you that we are the David in this picture. But the truth is, we are those soldiers that are discouraged and greatly afraid standing on the other side of the valley waiting for somebody to rise up because the first way that you have to read this is that we're not David. Jesus Christ is David. David is the picture of Jesus Christ because when we looked at the face of sin and we looked at the face of all of the distress and the turmoil and the shame and the guilt that we carried and the death that had infected our lives, we looked at it and we said, we cannot overcome this. What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? And we looked at it, but we had Jesus Christ come. And he's the picture. He's the perfect picture, David is, of Jesus Christ. Because just like Jesus, David was sent by his father to serve. He, just like Jesus, David was rejected by his brothers just like Jesus, the leaders tried to kill him, but he was able to escape out of their midst in the same exact way. G- Jesus, David, just like Jesus, was the cho- chosen and anointed one who goes in the name of the Lord to slay the giant. And the giant that Jesus slayed on the cross of Calvary was that of sin and death. He slayed that giant for us. And and listen, whenever David slayed that giant, he cut his head off with his own sword because Jesus cut the head off of of Satan and all of the powers of darkness with his own sword because he tasted death himself, the sword uh, of evil, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, completely stripping them of their power on the cross. And he won that great battle for us just like David did. And this is the picture because you see David slaying that giant. And when he slayed that giant, all of the armies came and began to spoil all the goods of the Philistines. Listen, everything that the enemy has in captivity of our generation, of our community, of our families... God has said emphatically, on the cross I've already won the victory and if you could catch a glimpse of it, you would realize that the giant has been slain and I'm calling you to run in and take the spoil now. I'm calling you to step up as the church and go after it and take the spoil now. Now David, he took the head off of this giant Goliath and he took it to a place in Jewish tradition that they said he took it to a place called Goliath, which ultimately became a place that they called Golgotha which was the very place that Jesus died to slay the ultimate giant. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, and that's the first way that we have to begin to read this we got to understand that everything everything that we do in this life has to be rooted on the foundation of Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. That we are forgiven that we have any power to live a new life, not of our own accord. You didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to be a better person. Jesus Christ did something in your life. He gave you a new spirit and a new heart, and you put faith in what He had done. And when you put that faith in what He had done, something came alive in you, and you begin to change. Amen. It wasn't because you just up and said, I think I'll be a better person today. No, the Christian faith is something that Jesus has done for you, not so much what you do for Him. And He begins this work. But when He begins this work, it says that He takes you out of darkness into light. That you are now placed in Christ. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Right? And so then we get to read it a second way, and all of a sudden, in Christ, we become the David of our generation. We become those, the the, the bride of Christ, the ones that are called to fulfill God's work in our own generation. This is the second way that we read this. And we begin to understand that this is us. And the fearful Israelites, in my mind, the ones that are sitting there saying, what do we do, what do we do? Now, this is the church. This is the church that is scared to death, afraid of actually doing what God has called them to do. And Saul is the king of Israel, but to me he speaks of a religious leader that has been infected by the system of this world and is only thinking about worldly things and has been removed from the power of God. Because all he's thinking about at this point is worldly things. He says, look, if somebody can go out and slay this giant, I'll enrich him with great riches. I'll give him my daughter. I mean, that's messed up. But the third one's even better. He says, I'm going to make it to where he doesn't even have to pay taxes. Everybody be like, boys, I'm in on that. You know what I'm saying? So this is, but he's thinking only about worldly things because in our generation look the temptation of our church and I want to say this with as little condemnation as possible hopefully none but the truth is is that in our generation there's a great temptation for the church to become so immersed in earthly things and in earthly mentality that we become so secular that we do only want to maintain the status quo. Keep everybody comfortable. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Don't push the envelope any. And really, we're secular now. We don't believe in things like miracles or, or God doing anything miraculous or God really setting people free and delivering people. We just don't really believe in that thing anymore. It's kind of more like, you know, it's a psychological thing and all this. But no, we have to remember that it is by the power of the Spirit of God that God comes in in situations and He is a God of miracles. He still sets addicts free. He still heals the sick. He still works in people's lives to transform human hearts, and we cannot allow ourselves in this generation to go down that path where we're so focused on earthly things that there's no longer any power to transform the people around us. Listen, if you've got a church of 10,000 people and every single one of them are still the same as they were before they came, there's nothing going on. There's no power in our midst. I remember when I first got involved in church, there was something that had changed in me that led me to church. I was different than I used to be. There was a transformation, there was a power that I experienced in Christ and I fear that somehow in the church we could slip away from that. There's a temptation. Even the scripture says this, that in the last days there would be many who have a form of godliness but they deny the power of God. They have a form of godliness. They have a comfortable ritual. You know, this is comfortable. I'm going to church, I have my church routine, but they are denying the power of God that that is supposed to be at work in their life. And listen, I don't want to condemn anyone, but I want to say to you, if if you've not experienced the power of God in your life, it is the most amazing thing that Jesus Christ literally comes to live on the inside of you by the Spirit and starts to make you a different person. And I get to watch people doing that and going through this process because it is a process. It doesn't always happen immediately, but the more we submit our lives to God, He's able to work in our lives and bring about a change. And in Christ, we become, David, a vessel that God is preparing in our generation to serve His purpose and His will. Amen? The first thing that you got in your notes there, and this is the first thing that God wants to bring about in our life, and that is a servant's heart. A servant's heart. In chapter 17, verse 15 through 18, it says about David, it says, But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers and ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers are doing. See how your brothers fare. So listen, I want you to understand that at this point, David has been anointed the king of Israel. He's been anointed the king of Israel, but yet he's still at home serving his father listening to his father's voice because this is a big thing in our generation is that in our generation the world system has infected the church so that the church becomes more about me exalting myself and promoting myself so that I can advance in the kingdom but the kingdom is the opposite the kingdom works that if I want to advance in the kingdom I have to take the lowest spot If I want to advance in the kingdom, I have to adopt a servant's heart because David could have easily said, Dad, don't you remember the prophet Samuel? He just came over and anointed me with oil in front of all you dudes. I'm the king, bro. You go take the cheeses. Now, this is the attitude that a lot of church folks get. They get a little bit gifted. Maybe they got something going for them. Maybe they're a good preacher. Maybe they're or a good, good musician, good worship leader. Maybe, maybe they're, they're smart, they're intelligent, they know how to administrate, they know how to do things, and all of a sudden they believe that somehow they're above others. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, but yet he washed his servants' feet. He washed his disciples' feet. He served them. He said, the greatest among you, if you're going to live in the kingdom, you have to take a position of servanthood where you're willing to yield and your life becomes about bettering others and not yourself. Your life becomes about bettering others and not yourself. And in our generation, this is something that we have to fight for, for the kingdom of God, because there is this pride and this selfishness that, that tries to infect even the church so that we forget that the church is different than the world. If we were running this thing just like the world, where well, we would just allow everybody to promote themselves in here, but we promote one thing and one thing alone, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not promote ourselves, but we celebrate one another. Amen? I celebrate my brothers and sisters, and we, we're, we're to lift them up and not to try to overcome them. See, David, David was obedient to his father, and listen to this. He proved himself in small responsibilities. He proved himself at home, and he proved himself in small responsibilities. Because in the kingdom of God, you know, when God first called me to preach for about three years, I preached every single Friday night of my life, and sometimes only one person would show up. And the Lord, and, and, but you know what? I, was, I could have said, This is ridiculous, Lord. And one person showing up. But I would hear a voice in my heart saying, no, son, this is the calling. I can never entrust you with great things until I can first entrust you with very small things. Will you be faithful to show up every Friday night, even if nobody shows up, and share my gospel and share my word and preach my word? Because until you can be entrusted with small responsibilities, you can never advance in God's kingdom. It's a difficult word for people because people want, we're a microwave generation. We want a million-dollar job right now. We don't want to have to work through it in advance, but in the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. And you have to take and allow God to do this servant's heart. Now he is, he David got promoted from king to a pizza boy. And just like that, in a moment of time, he's carrying bread and cheese to these guys, but it was him carrying bread and cheese to serve that set him up for one of the greatest victories of his life. It will set you up. Because Jesus humbled himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And it says that, listen, not only that, but David kept his father's sheep in Bethlehem. To be a shepherd was one of the worst jobs you could have. It was a very lonely job. It was a menial job. They were outcasts. They, they, they stank a little bit because they were hanging out with sheep all the time. They never got to come in to have a shower. And David is taking care of his father's sheep, but he took care of his sheep in Bethlehem. He had little lambs in Bethlehem. You know what this is a picture of, don't you? Christ. Christ was the Lamb of God born in Bethlehem. And he was nurturing and protecting the promises of God in Christ. There are promises of God for your life that you've got to grab a hold of and you've got to nurture and protect those things. And this is what leads me to the second place. He's nurturing and protecting the promises of God in his life. But see, every person that's going to be a giant killer in their generation has to have a life of private devotion. There's no other way around it. I know, I, I know I'm digging a little deep this morning and it'd be good to just have a real gentle message. But, but, here, but here, here's what i Here's what I've learned is that anything in God, if I had never developed a life of private devotion, I would still be a drug addict. If I'd never developed a life of private devotion, I'd still be addicted to pornography. I probably wouldn't be married. It's untelling what my life would look like without this second part of a private devotion to God. See, David was in a hard and obscure place. He was lonely. He was outcast by his own brothers because when Samuel showed up to anoint one, the king of Israel, he had his other seven brothers or so come in and they didn't even think about him. They said, well, one of y'all is going to be anointed king. And then they said, it's not, God told Samuel, he said, it's none of these. And they're like, well, who else could? Have? Oh, yeah, David, David, yeah. They didn't even think that it could have possibly been David. He's a little boy, shepherd boy, lonely out in the wilderness. And here's what I imagine. I imagine he's just like every other teenage boy. He got some lust of the flesh going on. He got some difficulties. He's been challenged in what he believes. He's not sure what he believes yet. But somewhere deep down on the inside of him, he knows that there is a God. And somewhere deep down on the inside of him, even though he's lonely and frustrated, doesn't know what his life's going to turn into, he's in this secret place with God. And I just picture him out there. He's got his sling, right? Because that's what he killed Goliath with. And he's practicing with his sling. You know David didn't go to Goliath and just say, Well, boys, give me a sling. Let me see if I can work that thing. No, he was in the secret place developing and honing his craft with God when nobody else was watching. He was playing the harp when nobody else was listening. It's one thing to worship for other people to listen. It's another thing to worship in the secret place when nobody hears you but God. Nobody hears you but God. And he was developing that on his own because you know what God ended up saying about all these was he said, look, I don't look on the outward appearance. You can bring me your outward appearance and it can look good. But I'm looking past all your outward appearance and I'm looking at the you that's alone in the secret place on Monday night, not on Sunday morning in public. He says, I'm looking upon the heart. And when he looked on David's heart, he didn't see perfection. David was a mess just like the rest of us, but he brought his mess to God in the secret place in private devotion. He would play his harp and he would worship God. And see, we see this because he he was the great psalmist, right? He wrote the majority of the psalms. And these psalms were written as he's singing his own praise to God. He's, it's not like, I think I'll write a song. No, he's worshiping God and this begins to flow out of his heart. He's worshiping God and this begins to flow out of his heart and somebody, here, or somebody else would begin to pin this down. But you know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 is such a key verse. Jesus says this, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in the secret place. You want to know where your father is right now? He's everywhere, yes. But in order for you to have intimacy with him, you need to understand that he's first in the secret place. He's here right now, yes. But he is waiting on you in the secret place. And you need to go to that place for him to begin to shape something new in you. Listen, I went into the secret place when I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography. I went into the secret place before I got my act together. I went into the secret place because I needed to get my act together. That's where I bring my junk to God and say, God, there's a lot of people who don't know this about me, but you do. I can't hide this. So let me lay it before you and let's begin to wrestle with who I really am. Let's begin to deal with the issues of my heart. And I shut the door on the, on the world. I would spend hours sometimes. I, I was in college when I started this out and I ended up moving out of my apartment because all I had was a bunch of craze like the animal house. And I had to move to Lexington. I moved in with my sister because she's pretty calm and we had a we had a big, big field in our backyard and I would go out there for hours and just be alone with God and I'm messed up at this point I'm not a good person alright amen anybody amen me on that you ever been there got a lot of addictions got a lot of problems I'm just like any other young man struggling struggling And I struggled for a long time but I began to meet God in that place I believe that's what David did he began to meet God in that place, and he starts singing out these different songs. Like, for example, in Psalm 1611, he says, You'll show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, when I was young, I thought a party was fullness of joy. I thought sex was fullness of joy. What I began to find out was that in God's presence, I found a joy that the world could not offer me. And it began, I began to say to myself, No, this is better. And I begin to press deeper and go into God. And see, David is starting to figure this out in Psalm 17. He says, he says, deliver me from wicked men who have their portion in this life. And then he says, but as for me, I will behold your face in righteousness and I will be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. He's saying, look, the things of this world aren't going to satisfy me, Lord. I'm going to be satisfied when I wake up and I look like you. That's what I want. I long for the, I long for the fact that the Spirit of God is changing me into the image of Jesus. Man, i got such a long way to go, but I cannot wait till I see Him face to face and I wake up and I look like Jesus. Amen? That is the, our goal in life. This is our end goal. This is the reason Jesus saves us, that He would conform us to His own image. And He begins to say, Psalm 27:4, one thing I have desired of you, Lord, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord to dwell in His house all the days of my life, to inquire in His temple. And he's saying, this, my, desi-. you get in the presence of God in the secret place, your desires begin to change. You begin to hear the voice of God. God starts to speak to you about your future. He starts to say, listen, son, you've got to lay this down. This is not going to work for you. This is going to take you down a wrong path. You've got to put this aside. This, this anger that you've been carrying, this bitterness, this unforgiveness, if you allow that to live there, son, you're not going to be able to advance in what I've got for you, right? You're not going to be able to deal with all of those things. And he begins to say this in Psalm 23, I love what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Because as he's shepherding these sheep, he begins to realize that God his Father is doing the same thing with him. Shepherding him, leading him, guiding him. But there's one verse in particular that really grabs my attention in Psalm 23. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I thought, why Lord? Why not just kill my enemies? and set them out over here somewhere and so I could just eat in peace. And the truth is, is because he has raised you up to live like Jesus lived, and that is to destroy the works of the devil. And you got some enemies in your life. It may be like mine. It may be addiction. It may be anger. It may be unforgiveness or bitterness. It may be lust like one of mine was, right? you got a lot of enemies that you're struggling with out there. And he says, no, I prepare a table before you in the midst of them. You're going to have to face your enemies at some point. And you're going to have to put them to death through the power of God. Because the very next verse he says is, is, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies, then I anoint your head with oil, and your cup runs over. You're not going to have to fight your enemies on your own. You're going to realize that I will provide you with the power and the anointing of the Spirit to overcome the enemies that you face. And this is the third thing that you have to understand is that if you're going to be a giant killer in your generation and serve God's purpose, you've got to be anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus Jesus was so adamant about this. Jesus told His disciples, He said, Listen, fellas, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He said, you're going to be better off when I leave because when I leave, the Spirit's going to come and you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be witnesses to me. He said, you know how you used to be afraid and you used to not be able to talk to me, talk about me in front of people? There's going to be a power come that lives on the inside of you and you're not going to be able to shut up about me. Everywhere you go, you're going to have to talk to people about me. This is what I experienced in my life. I didn't, Listen, I was like a guys in Acts 19. I was like, I didn't even know where there'd be a Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, was, I was raised Catholic, and all we did was listen to a guy say a c- couple short words and, and nothing against Catholic. My family, some of them still Catholic, praise God. And they would, they would they, you know, we'd go up and receive the, 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 the bread and the wine, but, but nothing was going on in my life at that time. And I'm not blaming it on that particular uh, denomination, but what I'm saying is, is that there came a point when all of a sudden God begins to really re- reveal to me there's more, Clay. There is a power. The reason you could not do what my word was asking you to do before was because there's this power of the Holy Spirit that if you develop your relationship with me, I will fill you with my spirit. And there's going to be a power living on the inside of you. You'll be able to do things that you never dreamed you could have done. Because if somebody would have told me that one day I was going to get up in front of a hundred people or whatever and be able to speak the way that I speak, I would have said to you, you're crazy. I get too scared. I'm too fearful of that stuff. I used to drop classes because we had to do oral presentations in college. That's the truth. I'd be like, i go into a class, they give us a syllabus, it'd be like, oral presentation. I'd I'd get scared immediately. Because there was such fear that would overwhelm me. But yet, when I remember the first time I stood up to preach in front of a good group of people. I was scared to death. I mean, I stayed up all night, pulled my hair out. And when I stood up, I was still scared to death. I mean, I was trembling. And I just felt this warm blanket kind of just rest on me. And it was like the Holy Spirit saying, don't worry about this. I got this. You just let go and trust in me. And since then, he's been taking me on this journey, on this ride, to show me that he will give me the ability to do things that I could not do on my own. I could not overcome... The addiction to drugs. I could not overcome the addiction to pornography. I could not overcome those addictions. But the power of the Holy Spirit began to put those things to death in me. And see, you have to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. But see, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not just birth because you come to an altar and we lay hands on you and we say some one person says, "Hey, hang on," and the other person says, "Let go." You know what I'm saying? I've been in Pentecostal services where they do that kind of stuff. But the the baptism or the feel fill in feeling of the Holy Spirit is really birthed, and it's an ongoing thing that. happens happens in your life where you're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit and it happens out of your deep intimacy and communion with God. See, you can't just say, well, I got filled with the Holy Spirit 20 years ago. My relationship now isn't that good, but at least I got filled back then. No, you need to always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it happens because of your deep, intimate relationship with God. David had an anointing on his life because he was with God in the secret place. You want to see the Spirit of God get activated in your life? Get alone with God. Start to pray. Start to fast. Start to seek His face. Start to read His Word. And all of a sudden, you're going to experience the Holy Spirit being activated in ways that He's never been in your life. Empowering you to overcome sins that you've been struggling with your whole life. Setting you free from things that have been binding you up from fear, from worry, from anxiety. Just beginning to flow forth. He says, your cup is going to run over when I anoint your head with oil. Drink so deep that you start to overflow in the presence of God. Amen? This anointing of the Holy Spirit, it says that when David, he came into the presence of Saul, and Saul was tormented by this unclean, distressing spirit. You ever had a distressing spirit? I know some people come in here Sunday mornings, and they got distress all over. I've been in here this morning, in the morning. You know what I'm talking about? You've just been distressed, stressed out struggling, worried, fearful. It says David would come in and he was a skillful player on the harp. Now get this, because in the Hebrew, here's what it says. It says that he was a knowing player on the harp. It's the word we get for intimate communion with God, to know him, to know God. God says, they will all know me. What he's saying is, is that when David played the harp, he wasn't just playing the harp. He was communing with God. And the Holy Spirit was beginning to soak and saturate His worship. It's the same way when a, when a minister preaches the Word. You know what? A man could study the doctrines of God day and night, but if he doesn't have a relationship with God, there's no conviction in the Word that he brings because it's in the secret place when you're alone with God that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to saturate your message. He begins to saturate your words. He begins to saturate your worship. When you go out in public because you've been with God and you see a co-worker that's sick, you're so saturated with the Holy Spirit that you have the faith and the boldness to pray for them and healing begins to come. Things begin to happen because you've been in God's presence. The anointing begins to flow in a person's life because they've been with God. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing that you've got to you have if you're going to be a giant killer in this generation and serve God's purpose is that you have to be willing to fight the hidden battles. See, because before David ever fought Goliath, here's what he said. He comes up on Goliath who's standing on the other side of the valley. And Saul says to him, son, you're a young boy. You're just a young pup. You can't do this. You cannot fight Goliath. He's been a man of war since his youth, and you're just a young dude. He's nine foot tall. You're about five. You ain't going to be able to do this. And he says, he says listen, here's the thing, Saul. I understand. I understand what you think, what you feel. It's all good. But here's what I know. I know that I, when I was hanging out with God in the secret place, that there was a line And there was a bear that would come out against me. And these lions and these bears would try to steal my sheep away. In other words, they came in to try to steal the promise of God out of my life. And he said, and when they came out to try to steal the promise of God out of my life, he said, I rose up and I grabbed them suckers by their beards and I slew them. And I ended them. And he said, said, look, I can't kill a lion and a bear on my own. Just like you said, Saul, I'm a little boy. How am I going to kill a lion or a bear on my own? He said, the Lord delivered that lion and that bear into my hands. And he said, and if the Lord delivered to me the lion and the bear, then the Lord will deliver to me this uncircumcised, no covenant Philistine the same way that he delivered to me the lion and the bear. But before you're ever going to face the Goliaths, of this generation, you have got to be willing to fight the hidden battles in the secret place when the lion and the bear come out to steal the promise of God in your life. There's nothing, I'm telling you, this is important. Because 99% of people, what they will really do is they will get good at putting on a religious facade and never fight the hidden battles that nobody else knows about in their own life. And because they never fight and win the hidden battles in their own life is the very reason they never publicly, openly come forward and slay giants in other people's lives. Is that good or y'all just... It's so true. And if the Lord hadn't taught me... Look, because the only thing I was trying to do... When I became... When God called me into ministry, the only thing I was trying to do was kill my lions and my bears. I wasn't interested in nobody else at Goliath. I was selfish. I just didn't want to go to hell. I didn't care if anybody else did. You know what I'm saying? Anybody amen me there? And, 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 so, and so when this battle comes out against me, all I want to do is kill the lion and the bear. But when I slayed the lion and the bear, there's a promotion. There's something that happens there. And so we have to understand, what is, what is this lion and this bear? A lion, now obviously this is a picture of the enemy because the Scripture says that your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour He wants to devour the promise of God in your life. He is resisting you so that you do not fulfill God's promises for your life. But here's something that's very interesting, is that a lion travels, you know, a big bunch of lions. You get them together. They travel in a pride. They travel in a pride. Because the first thing that you're going to have to kill in your own life is your pride. That's a tough one, isn't it? And the worst thing about ever preaching on pride is that if anybody does have any pride, they don't actually recognize it most of the time. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something else that will just destroy people is spiritual pride. Because we always think of pride in the sense of, well, um, you know, I'm rejecting God. But there's a place where you come to know God and you've got such spiritual pride that you're no good to anybody else because you think you're better than everybody else. And that has to die too. Pride in all of its forms has to die. See, Satan, the book of Job says, is the father of all the children of pride. Pride is this deep-rooted selfishness of life is all about me. I'm my own God. I ain't worried about God's purposes. I'm worried about my purposes. I'll tag God's name on the end of it and say, well, God helped me do what I need to do, but God's purposes come secondary to what I want to happen in my life. Now, if if pride is operating in my life, this is good, right? Y'all ready for some? I get easily offended. Soak this in for a minute, because this will be good for you. It'll be like medicine. Tastes bad going in, but afterwards it brings some healing. I get easily offended when I have pride. I'm very independent. I want to do everything alone. I don't want to get connected to a church body or people because that feels weird. I'm independent. I got little or no dependence upon the Holy Spirit, right? I don't really rely on Him. I got this thing covered. It's all good. My life is marked with strife and contention. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride comes contention. Where there is strife, where people are arguing or quarreling or resisting one another or not getting along, He says there is pride. But the wise and wisdom is with those who receive counsel or correction. Pride brings about division. There's a struggle with authority. People are unwilling to repent. They're unwilling to allow somebody else to come into their life. And here's one thing. When you're, when you're in, in pride, you are unwilling to build anybody else up because you're only interested in building yourself up. Matter of fact, you'll pull other people down just so you can look a little bit higher. Amen. Anybody amen me on this? This is true. And God is saying, you have to put to death that thing in your life because until you're willing to yield and let go... See, pride always produces anger too because I get so focused on myself that anything that happens that upsets my order of things, my system of things, well, it gets me aggravated because I want to be in control. Pride produces control. But if I let God and God's in control, well, then difficult things that come my way, I say, well, this is all right because God's got this. I trust God with this situation. And I let go. I'm willing to lay aside my own selfish ambitions. And I'm willing to yield to other people around me. Right? Amen? Second thing is a bear. The bear came out against him. Now, this is interesting. I had to Google it because I'm not this smart. I thought, well, if if a lion travels in a pride and that'll preach really, really good, right? What does a bear travel in? You know what a bear travels in? A sloth. Do y'all know what a sloth is? It's one of the big slow animals. Whoa, it's just hanging from trees and stuff. But in, in old church tradition, sloth was one of the seven deadly sins. And we tie what what we think of it in our generation is its laziness. Now don't get me wrong, laziness is a bad thing. Probably one of my greatest sins, amen. Uh, uh, but laziness will, will infect you and cause things. But do you know, I started to read a lot about sloth, especially what the church fathers had to say about sloth when they said it was one of the seven, seven deadly sins. And they said that it wasn't so much about laziness as it was to be careless about God's purpose and will in the earth. That means that you can be busy, you can be working, you can be gripping, you're just careless about what God actually wants done in the world. He says that's what sloth actually is sloth is to have a careless attitude about who you are about who God is and really I'm not going to amount to nothing so it doesn't matter Jewish sages would say that sloth or having a careless attitude about God's will is the first step to apostasy as soon as you begin to believe that I'm unimportant and God's will somebody else will take care of it I'm not really called into all that It's not that big of a deal what's going on in the world around me. I just need to focus on me and my family and my stuff. And don't worry about God's will. That'll take care of itself. As soon as you start to have that in your mind and in your mentality, it's a slow fade into apostasy. Because when you start going down that direction and you're not pursuing God's will, it's only very long before something can be offered to you that you will take the bait of and just say, I'm going down a different direction altogether. See, I become idle about spiritual things. And I begin to create this huge void in my life because I'm not filling my life with God, so there's this huge void. And Satan loves to fill the void with every distraction that he possibly can. He's waiting for there to be a void in your life. That one's not in the secret place. See, it says he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking whom he may devour. The person who leaves this void open and doesn't have this relationship with God, they're leaving themselves vulnerable to an attack from the enemy. And so, let me say this last thing. Sloth is an inner resistance to my spiritual calling and a distaste and a rejection of the discipline that it calls for me to have. One of the most difficult things about the Christian life is that Jesus didn't call people to get saved. He called people to become disciples. And the word disciple is rooted in the word discipline. And it means that to live the Christian life, you actually have to live a disciplined life. And that's why it's difficult because in our generation, the last thing we want to do is discipline ourselves. We want things to be as easy as they can possibly be. But in the kingdom of God, we have to say, all right, I want to win some battles. I want to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to have to discipline myself in this regard. I'm going to have to change the way that I see things. I'm going, because God's call requires daily effort. It requires daily sacrifice and daily practice as we focus on Jesus and His will. Amen? You guys can begin to come to the music. I'm going to give you my last point here in a minute. But see, there's other things. Just like I was telling with you, in Romans 8 13, one of the things that we have to crucify and put to death, lastly, is the flesh. Romans 8.13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. See, if I, allow my fl- if I had allowed my flesh to control my life, I would never be where I am at with God today. But if I had obeyed what God was saying and say, Son, by the power of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of your flesh and of your body and allow... allow yourself to begin to overcome this in my power and in my victory all of these things that we struggle with God is saying look and here's the thing about God he's not mad at you about it the one the one thing the one thing that I struggled with I was like man boys God is going to be so mad at me but I kept seeking God and the one thing that I realized is when I finally had an encounter with God where he set me free was he wasn't mad at me at all he was thrilled that he finally got to pour out his love in my heart and thrilled that he finally got to set me free See, God is not saying, I'm upset with you because you've gone down this path. I'm upset with you. You need to get right. That's not his attitude. His attitude is, I loved you so much that when you were stuck in that situation, I died for you on the cross. I've made the power available. I've made the Spirit of God available to you. And all I'm asking you is is that you would come to me and know that I love you more than you could ever imagine. But I've provided the power for you to live in a new way of life. I've provided the power for you. If God's Word says that you can do it, then He will provide the power for you to do it. And here's the last thing I'm going to give you. Because the last thing that David had and we have to have is radical faith. Radical faith. Because you can hear everything that I just said and say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. And if if you say that, well, then nothing probably is going to happen if we don't make any changes. But if we begin to say, you know what? I believe this. I believe that there are giants in our generation, and I notice that there are lions and there are bears in my own life, things that are holding me back from God's promises that I have to put to death. And David, because he put to death the lion and the bear in the secret place, when he came to Goliath, he didn't get fearful like the rest of the people. He looked at this enemy, and the enemy, it says that he disdained him. And he says, am I a dog that you come out here to me with sticks and whatnot? He said, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. And David said, no, no, you're not. He said, because I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm not coming in my own name. I'm coming in the name that purchased the victory for me on Calvary's tree. That by Jesus' blood, I have this victory already won. And I'm coming in his name. And he says this, the battle is not mine, but the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord that wants you free. It's the Lord that wants you walking in victory. It's the Lord that wants you walking in new life. He wants it more than you do. He paid the ultimate price for it. So we don't come in our own name. We don't even have to come and beg God. We just have to step out in faith against our enemy and say, no more. I'm stepping into the victory of Jesus Christ and I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. He did not walk up to his enemy. He didn't creep up to his enemy. The Bible says when he saw his enemy, he ran at his enemy and he sunk the stone directly in his head. And he put to death that thing that was holding him him back. And here's what I'm saying right now is that you've got to have some radical faith in your life to say, I'm believing. This morning, I don't really, you know, sometimes I just go through the motion. But this morning, there are some lions, there are some bears in a secret place that I've got to slay. And you've got to put your finger on that thing and say, I'm going to run after this. I've got unforgiveness in my heart, and I can't allow that to live there anymore. There's things going on in my family, and, and it's just got to be dealt with. I'm struggling with this addiction. I've got this worry. There's things just out of order in my life and I need to go after this. I need to let God deal with this thing in my life. And listen, God's willing to go through the process with you. We're not saying that if you, if, if you don't do this now, you're going straight to hell. That's not, the, that's not what God's saying. God is saying, will you step out in faith and begin to walk with me? Believe me to restore some things. Believe me to heal some things. Believe me to begin to change some things in your life and I'll start to bring freedom and we will win this victory together. But you're gonna to have to go to the secret place. You're gonna to have to bring it to God. You're gonna to have to be honest with God. You have to open up to Him. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? God uses unimaginable people for His glory. He used a teenage boy for his glory on that day. And nobody believed it was possible. It was an impossible matchup in the natural. But here's what I want you to understand. What you may think is impossible right now, God is saying that's the very thing I want you to go after. Amen. Let me ask you this: how many people in here? The first thing, just would you bow your head? Just close your eyes just for a minute. Because the, the first battle that you have to face, you, you, you realize that the battle has already been won in Jesus Christ. He's already paid the price for you to be forgiven of all sins. He's already paid the price for you to put faith in His victory and have new life. Not just for you to go to heaven, but heaven to begin to come in you now and eternal life begin now. You say, well, I've never never even fought that battle or even tried to step into Christ's victory, but I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand right now so we we can pray with you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Now, the second thing I want to say is, you know that there are some hidden battles that you've got to face, and you've just been a little bit complacent. Maybe a little bit slothful. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody does it from time to time. But you're coming to realize I can no longer allow my, my, my laziness, so to speak, my sloth to keep me from facing this in the secret place and dealing with this in my life. If you've got so, anything like that, can you raise your hand just, just to signify I've got something that I've got to go at. I'm going to give you some time. Just, to, just lift your hand and let it be known. Nice. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just address all of these things in the name of the Lord. We address all of these things right now that are in people's hearts. God, these lines, these bears that have come out, God, some of it is just sins that hold us back from the fullness of what, what you have for us. The Scripture says to lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily beset us. And God, right now, as an act of faith, we lay aside every weight And every sin that is setting us apart from your promises being fulfilled in our lives. God, I have my own struggles that I'm giving to you right now, Lord, that I struggle with, that I deal with, that I need you to take, Lord. The worry, the fear, God, the things that I deal with, God, I I need you to begin to take that. But, Father, you offer us the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, God, I pray that you would just release grace to us to overcome, to face these enemies head on and to begin to put these things to death, God. I pray, God, for a release, God, from the bondage of addiction and and for freedom in the spirit right now, Lord Jesus. For fear just to break off of people right now, God, in Jesus' name. For the worry and the anxiety. Lord, I I know that there are people right here in this place that are called to do greater things than than they've ever thought that they could possibly do. And I pray, God, for radical faith to come into their hearts so they, they can step out into that calling this morning, God. That they can begin to believe you for freedom in their family's life, God. In their children's life, God. There are people with spouses that are lost and don't know the Lord, God. That you would reach out to them and that that enemy would fall, God, in Jesus' name. As they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and put their faith in him. Lord God, there's so many things. Can you just lift your prayer up to him? Just lift your prayer up to him right now. Father, we thank you for what you're doing, God. I pray, Lord, that you continue to move in our hearts. Listen, right now, I want everybody, I want you to just respond however the Lord is leading you.